just want to tell everyone uh, it is a thrill to be here in the coastal region uh, for many, many years. So a lot of familiar, uh, lovely, not really older faces tonight. So it's really good to see a lot of you guys. And um, it is, again, just a thrill to be here. Uh, I'm very grateful for Steve. Steve, um, the force is strong in him, if you have noticed. Uh, What I admire about Steve is that, to me, he just seems... um, obsessed with learning. He loves learning and growing. I'm sure uh, that definitely benefits you guys just to have a guy that's always open and trying to learn new ways of doing things and think about things. And that's one thing I really admire about Steve. And uh, he's always been a, uh, a big fan of my, of my brain stuff. I know I drive my wife crazy talking about this stuff all the time, but it's nice to have somebody uh, who appreciates that. But uh, I want to start by helping us get a little excited about the lesson tonight. When you heard it was about repentance, how did you feel? Okay, don't tell me. All right, uh, let's just close our eyes for just a second. Close your eyes. And I'm going to just ask you for a few seconds to just imagine your life if you had never repented of anything. Are you feeling that? Never repented of lying never repented of lusting, never repented of cowardice. Okay, open your eyes. Was that scary? That was terrifying, I hope, right? So I just want to give you guys an idea that repentance, it is a very good gift. Okay, we we, we call the Bible sometimes good news, and that is exactly what it is. However, for me, for many years, repentance was not a good word. It was an intimidating word. It was a word associated with something that I'm not getting right. And uh, I felt like a failure so much of the time because I had certain ideas of repentance, but I didn't really fully understand it. I just had dinner Sunday night with a brother. He's like in his mid, no, maybe his late 20s. Grew up, his dad was a minister. When he grew up and moved out of the house, he joined the military for a couple of years. When he got out of that, he started going to different churches, had some good experiences, some interesting experiences, some weird experiences, and then finally landed in church, and now he's been a disciple for like five years. And someone at the dinner asked him, so what made the change? What was different? Because you've had this broad religious experience. What made a change for you? And he said, you know, all those years of growing up in church and attending church and listening to messages, I never understood repentance until I studied the Bible and someone helped me understand it. Can you imagine that? You can believe that God loves you and still not get repentance. You can hear a hundred sermons about how amazing God is or how incredible Jesus was, but if we don't get repentance... We're not going to have the life that God really wants us to have. Okay? So tonight, I hope to guide you through some really new and different ways of looking at repentance that can be really exciting and refreshing and very hopeful. But let's start with asking the right question. So, uh, as, as Steve mentioned, I, uh, I am a therapist, and I've been a Christian for about uh, 25 years now. Uh, and what I've noticed when it comes to sin... Usually everyone focuses on what? What we did. Or what we're really trying hard to stop. Or what we're really trying to get out of our lives. And 
99.9% of the time, that is absolutely the wrong focus. Why we do things is so much more important than what we do. Why we do things is more important than what we do. And the reason that's really important to understand is that Jesus did not simply die because of what we did. He also died because of the why we did so many things in our lives. And I'm telling you, if we get to the why of so many of our struggles or weaknesses or sins, if we get to the why, God can deeply and truly minister to you and transform you. And that is extremely good news. Correct? All right. You guys are with me, I hope. Okay. I don't want to down you guys tonight. Okay. So first of all, let's look at the word. Repentance is to change one's mind or purpose. That's the original Greek meaning of that word, repentance. Now, I've got to be honest with you. For many, many years, I did it wrong. Uh, when I got baptized in 91, uh, my biggest sin coming into church was lust, masturbation, pornography. Okay? Biggest thing. Got baptized, and guess what happened to all that stuff? Went away. I was amazed. I had this new purpose in my life. I was going a new direction. I had hope. I had people around me all wanting to pursue the same things. It was amazing. And then about five years later, I was living overseas, and suddenly Western media started coming in, and then the internet. And all those sins that I had repented of and washed away came back, and they came back with a vengeance. Now, I was a Christian, so I knew what I needed to do. What do you do when you sin? You confess, right? So I confessed. And what did I confess? Every time, I'm honest with you, every single time I confessed what I did. I confessed what I looked at. I I maybe confessed when I looked at. I mean, I got in all these things, but the one thing I was never confessing, didn't even have a clue about, was why. And I'm telling you, I was, I was going down. Because I thought, wait a minute, I'm, I'm following the Bible. The Bible says if you sin, you need to repent. And if you repent, you'll be healed. And I kept waiting for that to happen. And I kept going through that cycle every single week. And it wasn't changing. Can anyone relate to me? There's no women here, so it's okay. You, you can relate to me. It's fine, all right? So we hopefully, if, if you can relate to that, I hope tonight is really going to liberate you in an amazing way. So, first of all, uh, if you don't know it, I, uh, I am just obsessed with the brain and understanding it more and better. And I just believe the more that I learn about the brain, the more I'm learning about what a remarkable creator that we have and what an amazing God we have. So if you guys have heard before of this interesting brain chemistry called dopamine. How many of you have heard of dopamine? Now, when you hear dopamine, what do you normally think of? Thank you, Steve. Was that a confession? No, just kidding. Uh, No, but dopamine, usually you think about drugs, right? And unfortunately, that's the the reputation that dopamine has. Oh, that's right. That's for those, those, those weird, dangerous drug addicts. No. Dopamine has been around longer than substances. 
It's been around longer than alcohol. Okay? Dopamine is something God put in every single one of the brains in this room, and he put it in there for a reason. Dopamine is designed to motivate you and encourage you to learn and to grow. How many here have learned how to drive a car? Hang in there, teens. You're going to get there, all right? Now, if you noticed, when you first started learning how to drive, what was that experience like? Was it just a piece of cake? No, it's a little challenging, right? But you know what? You didn't give up because of this wonderful drug in your head called dopamine. Because every time you drove, you got a little better. And you kept doing that, right? And every time you tried and got a little bit better and figured something out, every time you learn and every time you grow in any way, your brain says thank you by releasing some dopamine. And look at all these wonderful features that we get. You're more awake, you're engaged, you're productive, you're energized, you're motivated, and you're creative. How many of us need more of that? Amen! Well, guess what? God wants you to have more of that. But we have to make sure that we get it in the right way. We have to get dopamine His way. And when we do, it works remarkably. And guess what you do? You end up growing. You end up maturing. You end up becoming more and more and more of the man that God designed you to be by following Jesus. Is that cool? Let's all say thanks to God for dopamine. Isn't that great? All right, very good. All right. So, moving on. Now, look at this. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. This is Paul talking about repentance, right? Godly sorrow brings repentance, right? That leads to salvation with no regret. All of those qualities... Those are not behaviors. Those are mindsets. Those are attitudes. Those are in here. Right? And when our mindset is correct, guess what happens? Our behaviors follow. Which is why repentance is here first. And that was my big mistake for years. I kept thinking repentance is, David, change that behavior. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't do that again. And meanwhile, asking no questions about what was going on here. What were my thoughts? What were my ideas that were leading me back to sin? What was I not changing here in order to change my behavior? Okay, I want to introduce some very radical definitions uh, that I came across recently that I thought was really interesting. Now, I also work in uh, substance abuse. About once a week, I, uh, I work at a clinic where people are just in the opening weeks of getting sober from anything from pot to cocaine, heroin, doesn't matter what it is, but we all come together and we start talking about recovery. And this definition really struck me. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Now, isn't that weird? You're thinking, wait a minute, man. Now, if you've got a drug problem, you need to be sober, right? The opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. When you feel disconnected 
from things that are legitimate and important in your life, you ultimately end up connecting with something else. And for some of us, that's a substance. For others, it's pornography. For others, it's TV. For some, it's food. In other words, when we're not truly, authentically connected, we ultimately connect to something else. And that something else never works. The opposite of sin is not not sinning. You can't say that too fast because it sounds weird. But the opposite of sin is not not sinning. The opposite of sin is connection with God and with others. Isn't that encouraging? So let me just give everyone a a, a big clue here. (laughs) One of the biggest mistakes when it comes to an issue like lust or pornography, something that I know is very, very common for men, is the first mistake we make is to choose sobriety. Okay? And we'll come up with a very cool strategy and tell ourselves a thousand times a day, don't lust. And what's the problem with that? Exactly. What's on your mind? I tell you what, it's not don't, it's the other word, lust. You know, don't look at pornography. Don't look at pornography. What are you thinking about? That's not what repentance is, okay? So it's not about what you don't do, it's about what you actually do, okay? So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, you might be thinking, what does that have to do with repentance? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with repentance. Because guess what happens when we don't face trials? We don't grow. We don't mature. We don't become more complete. And and we're sinning. Right? So, this verse has a remarkable clue about how to understand how to truly repent. Look at this formula. This is a paradigm I stumbled upon a few years ago in my practice. And this is from working with a lot of uh, people with addiction issues and whatnot. But I saw the parallel to sin was so amazing. This is typically how it works. We have a trial. Okay? And then depending on whatever that trial is, we start to have thoughts. And we start to have feelings. And then those thoughts and those feelings will kind of spin a little bit in our head, and then that can sometimes then lead to the next part, which is temptation. And temptation, now, when you're tempted, have you sinned yet? No, you haven't, right? But temptation is when you're starting to consider connecting to something illegitimate to meet a legitimate need. And that pursuit is usually trying to get relief from the thoughts or the feelings that have been produced by that trial. Now, do you guys remember what James said? How did he tell us to face trials? With, with joy, right? Consider it, what? He said pure joy, okay? He was giving us a mindset. 
if we can understand what trials are really for, we don't have to have negative thoughts and negative emotions about them. We can actually have some pretty healthy thoughts and some pretty healthy emotions about our trials. And we actually, on the other end of that trial, is what? Maturity, being complete, and not lacking anything. Is that a helpful mindset? That's a really helpful mindset. And so, here's the question. Where is metadoneo? Where is repentance in this cycle? Is it only... Do I have a, a, a red thing or that little pointer thing on this thing? Which button? Was it there? It's green. Awesome. Okay, there we go. So, some of we always, for me, I always thought repentance was right there. I got to change what that sin was. But based on the definition of what repentance is, to change your mind, to change your purpose, I think that happens a lot earlier. Right? Where is repentance? I believe it's right there. Your core beliefs. And this is why the Bible is so incredible. It's because the Bible is filled with suggestions of better core beliefs than you could ever come up with. None of us here would come up with, hey, let's consider trials pure joy. Let's just, let's just try that this week. None of us would come up with that. Only God comes up with the best, most perfect core beliefs. And if I have that core belief of consider pure joy, consider any trials of what kind? Of any kind, if I can consider it pure joy, if I can consider, wait a minute, I'm going to be different, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be more by going through that trial as opposed to backing out through sin. Is this good news? I think it's incredibly good news. Because we can change our thoughts. Okay, can I go forward? Is this making sense so far? Okay, if any of you lacks wisdom, can I have a show of hands? All right, let's just be honest, people. Okay, now when you lack wisdom, what do you normally do? We we got all kinds of options, right, guys? I mean, we can... We can go to Google, we can go to our small group leader, right? We can make a couple of phone calls, right? Whenever you lack wisdom. But what does the Bible say? If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Now I'm not saying those other things are wrong or evil. But I know for me, there was years in my life where I was quicker to go and get advice before going to God. In other words, in any area where I lack wisdom, that needs to start with my most important relationship. I'm sorry, I love my small group leader. I have a small group leader now. He's a great guy. He's got a great heart. But I'm sorry. God is more important to me than him. Small group leaders in the room, I hope you're not offended by this. Actually, you're probably thanking me like, this is a great lesson, man. People are going to go to God first before me. This is great.
great, okay? And it is good news. It's incredibly good news. But we should ask God, and, and what kind of God should we ask? One who gives generously without finding fault. Who in your life is really quick to find your faults? Okay, don't, don't mention her name. Don't mention her name. All right. No. Actually, that, that's not the right answer. Exactly. Just point at yourself right now. You are the first. Come on. You probably know most of your faults, right? That's why we need brothers in our lives, because we miss a few of those faults, right? We need some of us to help us out. Like, hey, Dave, you missed one. Let's work on that. But we're the first ones to find our faults. But God looks at us and gives to us so generously without looking at your faults. That's amazing. Okay, now, why am I pointing this whole point out? Why am I making such a strong point here? Why we need to ask God is because I believe churches can be a breeding ground for a very, very dangerous thing. And it's called codependency. You may have heard of this concept before. Sort of the most basic definition is helping someone in an unhealthy or unhelpful way. Now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible teaches us to love one another, right? Now if I love my brother, if I love my family, shouldn't I help them? What do you think? If my son decides to drive a little recklessly and get a speeding ticket, shouldn't I help him and pay his ticket? Well, guys, hold on, hold on. Hold on. What if he doesn't have any money in his bank account? But I have money in my bank account. Shouldn't I I help him? Because I can help him, right? See, if I do that, if I help him that way, I'm not blessing him. I'm cursing him. I'm condemning him. But you know what? When I do that, just for a little bit, I'm going to feel good. Man, I could do it. I could help. I just made his life a little easier, a little better. See, God doesn't parent us that way. He doesn't. God says, when you have trials, consider them pure joy. You know, does it stink to get a, part, a, drive, a speeding ticket? Oh, of course it does. But when you go through that trial, guess what happens? You become a better driver. Isn't that amazing? It's so cool, right? But this is serious, and, and we can do this in the church a lot, where we start being that great helper in our brother's life. And you got to be careful with that. First of all, make sure you're not filling God's shoes. Make sure you're not in the way of that person relying and depending on what's supposed to be the most important relationship in their life. 
And hey, absolutely, be backup, right? Support them. Support your brother. Know what's going on in your brother's life. But make sure we're helpful in really healthy ways. Amen? Okay, moving on. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, that was a promise. That's one of the greatest promises you'll find in the Bible. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and what will he do? He will give to you generously without rubbing your nose in it, without shaming you, without being down on you, without finding your faults. Okay? Now, here's a very interesting thing about dopamine. Dopamine is released in your head, not when good things happen, but simply the anticipation of a good thing. That's incredible. Okay? So that means... Even before I put that chocolate chip cookie in my mouth, right? Just anticipating that cookie, my brain is already saying, David, good, this is going to be good. Go there, please, quicker, walk faster. You know what I'm saying? That's just how it works. But this is an incredible confirmation of how God has designed our minds. Hebrews 11. Look at this. Now faith is being sure of what? Of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe, he must have the core belief that God exists and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's another core belief right there. See, Our minds were designed to have faith. When I have faith, when I anticipate God answering my prayers, or I anticipate God's blessings, my brain releases dopamine that says, David, keep believing. Keep pursuing those things. Keep walking with God as you go through anything. Trials or blessings. Quality of our thinking will determine the quality of our living. This is a powerful concept. And again, it goes back to that whole definition of repentance. To change one's way of thinking. Okay? We uh, we took last year, a year and a half ago, our ministry, we went through an entire 40-day series basically focusing on one verse in the Bible. And I'm going to show it to you in a second. But the reason we focused on this one verse is because we took this thing home. The thoughts that you have are the thoughts that you send energy to. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you my old example. If you close your eyes right now, please try. Trust me for a second. White bear. Okay? Open your eyes. What did you see? Thank you very much. Okay. So, here's the thing. In your brain, you have a little collection of cells that are connected to this idea called polar bear. Right? I said two words, and by saying those two words, whether you liked it or not, your brain sent energy to those neurons, sent energy to them, turned them on, and in your head you had some kind of image or some kind of memory of a polar bear. Now that neuron was in your skull when you woke up this morning. How many of you thought about polar bears this morning? 
Thank you very much. Nobody did, right? So it's whatever you decide to pay attention to, that is where you send energy to those neurons and those thoughts. And every time you think about them, they get stronger. They get better. Now that's good news and that's bad news, right? Because it all depends on what we decide to think about. What do we decide to think about? So, if I have a lot of thoughts on my problems and what's going wrong in life and who I don't like today and what I don't like doing today, I guarantee I'm not going to have a lot of energy left focused on God's purpose for me or my salvation. So here's the verse that we studied. Philippians 4.8 Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what should we do? Think about such things. That's not just a cute idea. Paul is giving us a way of thinking that can radically transform your life. When you think about these types of things, what types of behaviors do you think would follow? Probably pretty good behaviors, right? You probably have some pretty good ideas for your day when you have focus on these types of thoughts. Now, let me warn you. A lot of people made this mistake. When they look at Philippians 4.8, they assume that it's positive thinking. It's not. When you have to sacrifice something in order to help or impact someone else's life, like laying down your life for someone, I'm sorry, that's not a cute, positive thought. But man, it's admirable. And it's praiseworthy. So this is not positive psychology. Okay? This is Paul telling us 2,000 years ago. If you think this way, it will go well for you. It will change you from the inside. And guess what? Then your behaviors will be radically different. The what will be very different when we change our thoughts. Okay, moving forward. Oh, I just came up with this and That's a freebie, by the way. A foray today keeps temptation away. You can like get a tattoo or something and remember that one. It's really clever. All right. Okay. Now, now here's the thing. Now it's going to start getting messy. So we just read this amazing promise from James. Okay, that was verse 5. Look what suddenly happens in verse 6. He says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, in that scenario, in that visual, what's in charge? The wave or the wind? The wind, right? So for us, it's a wonderful metaphor because who's in charge of your life? Is it you or is it your circumstances? 
Do your circumstances toss you back and forth? Okay, God, I'm really close with you today because I like today. I I like how today is going. So I'm going to spend a little more time with you, God. Or I'll read my Bible some more, God. But then when some circumstances come up that we don't like so much, we can tank. And we forgot what James said. Wait a minute, Dave, hold on. Don't forget, pure joy when there's a trial. Pure joy. Okay, now, if we thought this was intense, now it gets worse. Seven and eight. That person, that person who is doubting, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Can you believe the Bible says that? I mean, when you read it slow enough, it starts making you feel uncomfortable. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in some of the things they do. Oops, I read that wrong. In all they do. See, this is where codependency can start creeping into our ministry. Is we have someone who's not really asking God who gives generously and believing that. And then when they have doubts and they don't receive anything from the Lord, guess what they're going to do? Well, start calling you more. Right? Guys, this has to be a faith issue. We have to help people with their faith. We cannot be the problem solvers all the time. Okay? We need to be available. We need to be supportive. We need to listen. We need to support. We need to open the Bible with people. But if people doubt, there's a promise here. (laughs) You're not going to receive anything. And this is why we need fellowship so much. Is because guess what? There are brothers in my life that have been through trials, you know, kind of similar to mine. And they've been through it. And I can see that God delivers, God works. And when I hear those examples or they share them with me, It builds my faith so that I go to my relationship with God and I start thinking, okay, God, I'm encouraged. Because I talked to Joe tonight and he said he's been through what I've been through. And he gets it. And you delivered him. I know you will deliver me. You see? We need to strengthen one another spiritually, not codependently. Amen? Amen? Okay. Moving on. So doubt is a dopamine drought. Doubt is a dopamine drought. So when you anticipate bad outcomes, or you anticipate no outcome, God's not going to deliver. I doubt, guess how much dopamine comes out in your brain? None. You are having a dopamine drought. Okay? It does not sound fun. In fact, to get a good visual here, here's what your brain looks like with less dopamine. Sleep, uninterested, unproductive, blah, unmotivated, stuck. Has anyone ever been in that place? Thank you very much. We all have, right? We've been there. And guess what happens? When my brain is in that state, and I'm not engaged, 
And I'm not asking God for wisdom who gives generously to me if I really believe him. Guess what I want to do when my brain's in that state? I want to look at pornography. Because guess what pornography does? It floods my brain with dopamine. Isn't that interesting? Now I'm talking about porn, but I think it applies to a lot of sins. Sins are an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. This brain doesn't need porn. This brain needs encouragement, hope, perspective. This brain probably is running on some really unhealthy core beliefs. And this person needs help with core beliefs. Bro, how are you thinking about that trial in your life? Maybe there's a different way to look at it where we can see this as an opportunity to grow. To grow in your faith, to grow in your pursuit of God. Learned helplessness. Now, I'm going to torture you for just a moment and read the clinical definition of learned helplessness. Please brace yourselves. You're about to get a headache. Okay? Learned helplessness is behavior typical of an organism, human or animal, that has endured repeated painful or otherwise aversive stimuli which it was unable to escape or avoid. After such experience, the organism often fails to learn escape or avoidance in new situations where such behavior would be effective. I don't even like trying to understand what that just said. Okay, so let's just go to something simpler, okay? Now there is an elephant in the room. That was my only pun for the night, guys. Just bear with me, laugh a little, okay? Come on, I'm talking about sin all night. We need to lighten up a little here, okay? So some some of you may know this story, right? But the way they train elephants is they take an elephant when it's really young, they tie a big, heavy chain around one of its legs, and they tie that chain to a post, okay? And what does that elephant try to do? Well, he tries to do what he's made to do, move. And every time he tries to move, that chain just grabs his foot, and he keeps trying, and he keeps trying, and that chain just keeps cutting the skin, cutting the skin until blood is just flowing from where this chain is scraping the skin of this poor elephant's foot. So they do that for a while, and every time he tries to move and it fails, he's starting to develop a very core belief. I can't. I can't. If I try, it will hurt. If I try, it won't work. And they've basically used learned helplessness to train this elephant. So now, after a while, they can remove the chain, and now they put a little twine around his leg. And that little twine is attached to a little peg. And that elephant, now, can that elephant break a twine? Of course he can, right? But as soon as he starts to move, he feels that thing on his leg. And it doesn't matter whether he has the strength and the ability to break it. His core belief is stronger than that. And his core belief says, don't 
even try. You will fail again. It will hurt again. I have to confess, there were years in my Christian walk where I had learned helplessness. I sin, I feel bad, I confess, I try again, I fail, I confess, I try again. Are you with me? This cannot be. This cannot be for us. Jesus did not die to just simply allow us to have a life of learned helplessness. He died to give us so much more than that. So much more. So when we're in that state of learned helplessness, our brains start to shift. And in that brain, with little dopamine going on, there's no initiation, there's very little learning, there's very little reflection. Okay, how can I solve this? How can I get through this? Our faith is broken. It's it's worse than weak. So, here's a fancy word for faith. Optimistic control. Optimistic control. Research has revealed over and over again that a belief that one will be successful is among the strongest predictors of goal achievement. They believe they can, and when things get tough, they find a way. Optimistic control is the exact opposite of learned helplessness. Optimistic control is the exact opposite of learned helplessness. So optimistic control looks really, really good on the brain. Faith looks really, really good on the brain. When we anticipate God's response to us, when we anticipate maturity, becoming complete, not lacking anything, our brains release dopamine to kind of get us going so that we start asking God for wisdom. And then we start talking to people to see how God answers that prayer by getting some support, getting some resources, getting some ideas, going over that weird cycle that David Bruce explained at that midweek that one time, which is, okay, wait, there's sin, and you go backwards, wait, you were tempted. Now, wait a minute, what were the thoughts and feelings before you were tempted? Wait a minute, bro, what was the trial or the trigger that started the whole thing? And better yet, let's go back What was the core belief that was in there that led you to fall after that trial or after that trigger? See, we can learn how to do these things in a very different way. Okay, plan of repentance. We want to go for the why, not the what. Let God give generously because guess what? You can't. You can try, but you'll get exhausted and burn out very, very quickly. Number three, track sin back to core beliefs. Okay, so when you're in small groups and you're in that moment, 
I mean, honestly, when I do D groups with people, I say, guys, let's talk about the what for about 30 seconds, and then let's do the work that's more important. Let's talk about why. Let's talk about what core beliefs are going on or not going on in some trials in your life right now, and let's find some better core beliefs. And that's where the Bible delivers really well, every time. And four, repentance repairs and improves core beliefs. So when someone's confessing sin to you, make sure that you don't get tricked and focus on just the sin. Whenever sin is coming around, it's usually a heads up that that person maybe has some core beliefs that just aren't helpful or working right now. And that's where we can change. That's where we can truly repent. To change the way that we think about our trials. Okay. Now I have some small group discussion questions, but I would love to start together as a group. Would that be okay? Sure. All right. Now, this cycle that I gave you, uh, and by the way, that cycle is, is a very common, uh, kind of accepted cycle in understanding... Uh, you know, addictive behaviors or, um, uh, or repeated sin. But I also want you to keep in mind that that cycle also works for things that go well. Okay? So if you think about this, you know, like in your small groups tonight, think about something that's gone well so far maybe this week and, and track it backwards. Okay? If something went well, go backwards and ask yourself, okay, what was going on that led up to that good thing happening? What were some good decisions that I made or some good choices that I made? What were some prayers that I had that led up to that good result in my life? That's also a really, really helpful way to really get closer to knowing each other a lot better is just even understand how people do well in their lives. Don't you love D groups when you come together and all you talk about is how you blew it that week? Is that fun? And then you just count the days to do it again. Oh, I can't wait. Come on. we got to mix it up, guys. We need to encourage one another, not just with what's going not well, but let's, let's talk about how we're doing, how we're doing well in some areas. we got to mix it up. Okay. Now, here's the one I want to do together. Describe a negative, unhealthy core belief and replace this with a healthy, biblical core belief. Now, let's get really real here, okay? Now, looking at that cycle, I want to ask you, let's say that cycle ended with the sin of looking at pornography at 11 o'clock at night, okay? So, we start with that sin and we go backwards. So, temptation, what do you think? Did temptation start at 10.55? Maybe a little earlier? Maybe about 7? And before that, there were some thoughts and some feelings about some kind of trigger that happened or some type of trial that you might have been going through. Okay? But now let's get to the real part. What kind of core beliefs could have set off that cycle? Can we share some? Go for it, bro. Uh, I'm not good I am not good enough. Think about that. If you have that core belief when you wake up in the morning, 
You know, get through your Bible really quick, shut it, get in your car, and that one idea starts to pop up. I'm not good enough. The first even hint of a trial at work is going to start that process. Ren, you had one? Nobody likes me. I'm alone. I'm different. I'm a problem. Sean? I can't stop. I can't. Yeah? I deserve to feel good no matter where it comes from. I deserve to feel good. See, I had that one for years. And so what I would do is I would work really hard all day long. I would go through lots of trials, never talk about them. People would tick me off. And I'd go, oh, I'm so glad they ticked me off because now I feel more justified in doing what I'm probably going to do tonight. Do you you see the madness of this? Okay, so let's all take a breath. All right, let's, let's try this again. So now, same scenario... Only this time at 11 o'clock at night, I'm just about to click and I say no. And I shut the computer down. And I go to bed with a clear conscience. And I close my eyes. I pray to God. I say, God, thanks. That was a close one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I go to sleep. Now let's back it up. I had temptation all day. I had that trial, that trigger, in the middle of my afternoon. I didn't like it. Man, those trials. I know James says pure joy, but it did not feel like pure joy at three o'clock today, man. Did not like that interaction I had. Okay? And now let's go back even further. What's that core belief that I had that got me through all that trial, all that temptation, and helped me right there when it, when it counted. And I said no. What are some core beliefs? Yes, bro. God loves me. Now, three words, but guys, if we're not careful, God loves me is going to be a really great idea. But that can't be a good idea. We have to believe that is a fact. Do you understand? We can say that a thousand times and not accept it as a fact. I am loved. I am dearly loved by God. Bro. I can do all things through Christ. Bring it on. I can't wait to see how Christ's strength shows up for me today. Whether it's one trial, maybe it's five or six, and when my Christ power gets a little low, I'm going to ask God who gives wisdom generously without finding fault. And maybe a little bit later, I'll call my brother and say, hey bro, guess what? He's having having a rough time today. I need to talk about this because my core beliefs are starting to get tested. One more. David. 
There we go. No temptation has come about that you can't that God has not provided an exit for. Again, be very careful, guys. It's very easy to read the Bible. It takes a little bit more effort to memorize it. But it takes intentionality to accept the Bible as your truth. Okay? And I guarantee you it will make a difference. Okay. Uh, one more. Get a core belief option from each member of your group. Can you imagine that? If, imagine if your D group, you went to a D group, and let's say you confessed, you know, you, you lied at work. Okay, you did something, you know, you got nervous, got a little insecure, and you just lied about something at your job. And you confessed that to your group, okay? Now, how's the group going to respond? <laughs> oh, man, you got some great groups down here. That's awesome. But can you imagine if you confessed your sin, and afterwards, everyone listened to you, Maybe one person asked a good question about, okay, bro, I get what you did, but all right, let's talk about why. And you got a little vulnerable and you talked about, no, I was scared. I was nervous. I thought, you know, I'd have these horrible consequences or I don't know, I just, I just wasn't thinking straight. Whatever the why is, they talk about that why. And what if they got a core belief, a really good core belief about themselves from each member of that group before they left? Can you imagine? This is how we encourage one another. If we have a community where we can get healthy, undistorted, good, pleasing core beliefs sent to our direction, guys, these men will change a community. These men can change the world. Isn't that amazing? I love you guys. Thank you very much for listening tonight. And uh, I really appreciate y'all being here. Thank you so very much.